The BTC ETF gets approved. Actually, no, it didn't. Instead, $65 million of liquidations occurred due to an eager beaver news organization. Uh, but <laughs> not, we not bankless. <laughs> not bankless, not us. Uh, but we did accidentally get a mock dry run of what a Bitcoin ETF approval would do to the market. And Larry Fink, of all people, gives his take. Hey, Bankless Nation. It is the third Friday of this beautiful month of October. And it's time for what, David? Oh, the Bankless Friday Weekly Roll-Up, Ryan, where we cover the entire weekly news in crypto, which is always an ambitious endeavor. Yet, we persevere nonetheless into the frontier. Ryan, you got your morning coffee? Your I coffee? got my morning coffee. Yeah. It is black. Uh, well, I, uh, what I'm number of pots it. are you on? I know you measure um, your coffee in pots. Second pot. <laughs> second pot, about second halfway pot. through. So I would say one and a half pots. You're going to need some extra coffee to get through this roll-up because it's a little bit of a doozy. Yeah, there's so much going on this week. It was actually an action-packed week. Yeah. Number one, we talk about Uniswap fees. They have been flipped on, Yay. but everyone is upset about this Ooh. because it's not the Uniswap fees you actually hoped. Doesn't mean things for the Uni token necessarily. Yeah. Let's talk about what else we got, David. Uh, coming up after that, a false positive on the approved Bitcoin ETF sends the market in for a roller coaster. Uh, it turns out that no Bitcoin ETF has been approved, but we did learn some things. And so we will talk about what we learned. A it's all new, about the lessons all, learned along the way. Yeah, that's why we're here, just for learning. <laughs> uh, a new layer two hits mainnet. So we'll talk about why that one's unique. Another layer two just dropped. And then of course, Ryan, what are we going to end with? David, you remember that guy who was storing $3 billion in Bitcoin that he store, stole from the Silk Road? I remember this uh, one. Yeah. Okay, so a year ago, and the FBI found it in his basement. Well, we have the full story on today's show. CNBC did an exhaustive interview, an in-depth story on Jimmy Zong of Gainesville, Georgia, the Bitcoin Gainesville? billionaire. Gainesville. Yeah, Gainesville. Literally wow. Gainesville. So we're going to talk about that too. <laughs> David, before we get in, we have a special message from who? Ourselves. Ourselves. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. What do we want the Bankless Nation to go do? We've got a survey. We've got a survey to make the podcast better. Uh, so we would like you to fill it out. If you are a listener of the podcast, surprise you are, uh, we would like your feedback about how we can improve the, the podcast. So there's a bunch of questions about who you are, when you started listening to Bankless, why you listen to Bankless, what types of episodes you like. Uh, we are working on a new show format coming midweek is a little bit roll up -y. Uh, but we mm. need more information about you guys uh, so we can understand what you guys want so we can figure out how to structure that show. One or a few lucky responders will get a very cool bankless Sujikin jacket, uh, which is quite literally the coolest piece of apparel that I own. I don't. It's in my closet. I don't have it on me. Do you have a picture of it? Look at this. Yes. Super cool. Super cool. I think it's great. It's also reversible in case, you know, I don't know why you wouldn't ever want to rock <laughs> this, my gosh, but it also is reversible <laughs> to be a little bit more tame. Uh, oh, yeah, great. bear on both side on one side, bull on the other. Uh, it's awesome. So yeah, go wow. fill out the survey. Go fill out the survey. Yeah, this, uh, is, that's David looking out in his Sujikin jacket <laughs> over the New York landscape. Yeah, it's, shout uh, out Dave Krugman for taking that photo. <laughs> that's awesome. All yeah. right, David, you ready to get to markets? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, let's start. Happy, happy sounds. Happy sounds. Oh really? We did. We didn't get a double digit week, but man, Bitcoin put in a seven point five percent green twenty four seven day candle. Yeah. 7.5%? 7 7.5%, yeah. That's, that's a more, big week. more than 1% a day. We are just hovering below uh, 30K. So what's the number on the week? Started the week at below 27,000. We are now at almost 29,000. 28,700, up 7.5%. Wow. That's crazy. 7 and look at this big spike here. We're going to talk a little bit yeah, about that, that spike. Yeah, that, <laughs> that was the fraud. 
Okay. It wasn't fraud. It was a mistake. It was. It wasn't. Yeah, fraud. it was a mistake. It was a, a big old mistake that I'm just we learned used a lot to from. saying the fraud word on this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Uh, all right, how about ETH price in the week? Uh, less happy. Starting the week at fifteen thirty, ending the week at sixteen sixty five, up two and a half percent. So definitely okay. a Bitcoin week. Definitely a Bitcoin still happy week for though. Sure. Yeah, still yeah. up though. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, the ratio extremely is extremely sad. Extremely sad. <laughs> ratio is all the way down to point zero five four five. If you're a Bitcoin bull, this is not sad. This is yeah. happy. Right. Well, I think if you're overall a markets bull, like crypto markets, like first Bitcoin, then the rest of the market, this is how it goes. Uh, yeah. I double, I double down. I, I ate up a little bit more of a, my ETH BTC trade, just a lower dollar cost average into like lower the price. How do you explain this? Yeah, I know yeah, what you mean. You get what you got. I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh huh. And how about um, crypto market cap on the week? One point one three trillion dollars. So definitely up. Total market cap is looking good. Looking L2B. good. L two B painting paint floor. L2B, we're, we're uh, hovering above $10 billion in total value locked and say that's on unchanged. the activity side. Yeah, unchanged. unchanged. A- activity side, we're kind of hovering in the same around yeah, five, yeah. 40 we, we, to we 50 hit, We TPS hit at some 6x on layer twos on Ethereum. Now we're down to 4.8, but still holding high. Right. Well, let's broaden our horizons to uh, macro, the rest of the world, yes. beyond crypto for just a minute. So this is Janet Yellen this week saying, America can certainly afford to support Israel and Ukraine. So this is her saying, the U.S. Treasury, of course, David, saying that America can certainly afford to support two wars on two different fronts. Uh, where do you think she gets that confidence, David? Because I'm, I'm not so sure about our ability to support wars or pay for all of the things that America wants to pay for. Where, where do you think she gets that confidence? It's a pretty hot take to say that America can finance two other people's wars when mm. we have a, like a very bad deteriorating fiscal situation internally. Like our own house is not in order. And then Janet Yellen, who is the treasury secretary, she's a manager of the treasury. She's trying to make, you know, our she's managing our budget. And then she is saying, quote, we need to come up with the funds both for Israel and for Ukraine. This is a priority, which is a very politicized statement. So it kind of just goes into the whole thing that the whole like story arc of the U.S. dollar and the politicization of the U.S. dollar. It's like our dollar is a weapon for uh, a means to an end to get what America, the American empire wants. And that is, uh, I, I, I am here in crypto to not have politicized money. Well, and this is extremely here. politicized. You also have a take here. War is the most inflationary thing humans do. What do you mean yes. by this? Yeah, war is extremely inflationary. Uh, when a building collapses because of a bomb, that building is capital being destroyed. And we have to go rebuild that building. Who is going to finance that? Who is going to rebuild all of the destruction that wars cause? It comes out of the fiat because we're not like, we're not going to increase taxes. We're not going to, you know, we can't make more money. Actually, just kidding. We can make more money. It comes from inflation. Uh, <laughs> right. And so like when we finance wars, where does that money come from? It comes from inflation. We just print our way to finance it. Yeah. And if you want evidence of that, go look at World War One. go look mm-hmm. at World War Two. go look at all of the, the wars throughout history and what they do um, to the nations that... Right. Um, you know, that, that partake in them. Right. Um, it is, it is a transfer of value from the monetary base yeah. to fighting war, which is just straight destruction. I think it's like one of the, it's the worst fiscal situ- uh, like decision you can make. 
And we also have uh, some hot wars going on, but we also right. have some trade wars going mm-hmm. on. This is a Kobayashi letter saying, the last thing we need right now is a trade war, taming inflation with skyrocketing energy prices and geopolitically geopolitical conflicts is already hard enough. Unfortunately, we're taking one step forward and two steps backward. Um, I think they are referring to a trade war with China. So uh, about a year ago, David, um, President Biden restricted AI chip sales to China. Mm. And uh, now last week, as of last week, he actually expanded that uh, restriction to include another set of chips. Um, NVIDIA, particularly a a maker of some of these GPU chips, which of course GPUs are are kind of the chips that AIs eat up. That's kind of the the Um, new oil. Yeah, we need the new everyone oil chips down 7.5% on the back of this Oof. restriction. So the stock has raised $100 billion in value just over 20 in the last 24 hours. $100 That's billion. Another, so for reference, Ethereum is $180 billion market geez, cap. Jeez, man, NVIDIA is, is absolutely flying, huh? Yeah. But um, yeah. yeah, this is another thing that also decreases productivity. Yeah. It's, it's uh, not a hot war, but even trade wars. Yeah our negative value creation for all parties involved, unfortunately. Um, Speaking of negative value creation, David, (laughs) you want to take a look at the the value of U.S. treasuries Mm. compared to Bitcoin from the beginning of COVID. What are we looking at here? Yeah, so we're looking at a a chart here. If you bought, if you were like, oh, COVID, scary, I'm going to fly to safety, and where is safety for the average person? It's a bond. Uh, If you did that, at the beginning of COVID, a 20 to 30 year U.S. Treasury bond, you are down about 50%. You are down bad about 50%. You lost half the your money. The safe asset. The safe asset. If you went to Bitcoin at the beginning of COVID, you're up 230%. Wow. Wow. Yeah. What, what were flight, you Flight to safety. What, what, what were you thinking that week, the beginning of COVID? It was a week in March when all of this broke, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I... I I was I had fear for sure. Yeah, I was like, oh, like, like pandemics are a thing that can totally happen. Like, how bad is this going to get? I think we got if, lucky with COVID with how bad of a of, of a disease it actually was. Like, it could yeah. have been way worse. I completely agree. I thought there was the potential to like to head into like a um you know dark an ages, decade long yeah depression right. type of yes. era. Right, it was I, definitely I a, was a time considering for that reality for sure. <laughs> Uh, it was a crazy time, but uh, yeah, the flight to safety, at least in the form of U.S. government bonds, did not work out so well. Mm-hmm. Um, David, this is a take from Vance Spencer. What's he saying mm-hmm. here? Vance says, when no millennials or Zoomers can afford a house and job prospects are limited, don't be surprised when price to earning ratios for zeitgeisty tech stocks or crypto are going to go vertical, even with higher rates. Interest rates don't matter to millennials and Zoomers. They have no savings and little prospects to ever have them. Even big tech friends are living paycheck to paycheck. So like big tech friends, people working at Google or Meta or very well-paid people are still living paycheck to paycheck. Vance says, all that matters is swinging for the fences, a portfolio optimized for the Instagram lifestyle. And this is actually quite rational. Spend more time in Asia and you'll understand the crushing paradox for young people. We definitely saw this energy throughout crypto. It was one of the big narratives that supported crypto during its bull market. It's like, why buy a monkey JPEG? Like, why go down the list <laughs> it's like, of why risks? Not? It's, why not? It's like, oh, <laughs> I, it might be worth a million dollars. It's a new narrative. Like, we'll run with it. Uh, and so when interest rates, when they can't buy a house, you can't have savings, you need to swing for the fences. Uh, and so uh, portfolios are going to, be, like, people are dollar cost averaging into 
swinging for the pen, fence portfolios right now. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. And and so Vance is making the case that even though um, stocks are valued at like, mm-hmm. very high rates from a PE ratio perspective, they could go even higher. Right. But you know, it's kind of it's 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 almost sad though, David, because it, it just feels like the you know statement of people are desperate, yeah. and so they're just gonna gamble is what's actually happening here. And that, yeah. you know, to me, that's sad. I feel like time is a flat circle. This was like, this was like content that we were talking about for like, I think a year and a half straight during the bull run. And I think people are just noticing, noticing like, hey, there's a bunch of Tinder. Uh, this is this is bull market Tinder for what's yeah. going on. Um, yeah. Mike has a similar take here. Crypto combines two of today's biggest trends. One, a return to commodity-like money. It's part of the, the Neil House fourth turnings, uh, Ray Dalio like transitions, like the, every once in a while we blow up our money and so we return to commodity-like money that you can't blow up. Mm-hmm. And then two, religious-like online communities. <laughs> fade it at your peril, fade crypto at your peril. I, I yeah. totally agree. Yeah, totally especially agree. going into this world. Um, you know who is not fading ETH, David? Just uh, actually a reminder, Vitalik <laughs> helped remind everyone is Vitalik. He's not dumping on us in this bear <laughs> Vitalik market. Vitalik would like you to know that he's not dumping on you. <laughs> I think somebody asked him the question because there was a transfer of something like 4 million of mm-hmm. ETH from not his address, but an address, d- addresses connected to his address. The, and so someone asked, you mean? Uh, no, it was from oh. uh, Vitalik. Like, not yeah. his specific addresses, but you know Close. he moved some ETH somewhere else, and sure. they ended up selling. Mm-hmm. And so he was asked in AMA, "Hey, are you selling?" Uh, and he was like, "Nope, that's a nonprofit. I haven't sold any of my ETH since uh, 2018. So mm-hmm. these these sales are from donations." Right. Uh, I don't know, man. Um, if you're selling your ETH, are are you smarter than Vitalik? That's my question. <laughs> that's my question today in this yeah. market. So uh, there you go. Some clarification there. David, you know what's killing it even in the bear market? Tell me. Crypto dollars. Okay. Uh, what are we looking at on screen here? Okay. So this is interestingly crypto dollars on Tron. We're looking at a chart of weekly active addresses settling stablecoin payments across various blockchains, Ethereum, Tron, Binance, Polygon, Optimism, Arbitrum, Phantom, Avalanche, and then also like USDT, USDC. USDT active addresses on Tron are by far the most active addresses settling stable coins in all of crypto uh, and is followed up by Binance Smart Chain followed by Ethereum. Ethereum is third. And then USDC yeah. is a, like a long second behind USDT. Tron, just the absolute payments gargantuan for settling <laughs> USDT. It's pretty I, crazy yeah. actually. And, um, but stable coins in general, active addresses coins, yeah. are about flat. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, Nick Carter re- reminded us in our mm-hmm. crypto dollar episode we did earlier this week that flat is actually up. In these up. hard yeah. economic times. You know, you know what's not on that chart? What's that? Solana. <laughs> Didn't even it's make true. the chart. It's true. Uh, but <laughs> if you look at this, stable coins are now the 16th largest sovereign holder of treasuries. Yeah. Okay, so stable coins hold more U.S. treasuries than Norway, South Korea, Saudi Arabia, Germany, the Netherlands, Mexico, the UAE. So they are they are rising in terms of the amount of treasuries that they are they are holding. I think if they break into the top ten, David, that's right. when the force uh, to be reckoned with. Yeah, that's when it's a force to be reckoned with. That's when Janet Yellen, Jerome Powell really have to pay it more attention. Of well, course, okay, we breaking into the top ten is not hard. Like it's yeah, the top three. It's Japan, China, UK that are the big ones. If stablecoins just doubled, they would be like number four in the top ten. I know yeah. it's absolutely crazy. Um, so very bullish crypto dollars. And if you want to get more bullish on crypto dollars, we did an episode with Nick Carter earlier this mm-hmm. week that you absolutely have to 
catch up on if you haven't. David, what do we have coming up next? Coming up next, Uniswap is collecting fees. But no, not the Uniswap you're thinking of. We'll talk about that. The BTC ETF gets approved. Actually, no, it didn't. Instead, $65 million of liquidations occurred due to an eager beaver news organization. Uh, but <laughs> not, we not acci- bankless. <laughs> not bankless, not us. Uh, but we did accidentally get a mock dry run of what a Bitcoin ETF approval would do to the market. And Larry Fink, of all people, gives his take. Uh, SBF trial week three, all this stuff and more. New layer two mainnet, some really good stuff. So we're going to get to all of that and more. But first, a moment to talk about these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible, especially a preferred crypto exchange for 2023. If you not have an account with Kraken, consider clicking the link in the show notes to getting started with Kraken today. Kraken knows crypto. Kraken's been in the crypto game for over a decade. And as one of the largest and most trusted exchanges in the industry, Kraken is on the journey with all of us to see what crypto can be. Human history is a story of progress. It's part of us, hardwired. We're designed to seek change everywhere, to improve, to strive. And if anything can be improved, why not finance? Crypto is a financial system designed with the modern world in mind. Instant, permissionless, and 24-7. It's not perfect, and nothing ever will be perfect. But crypto is a world-changing technology at a time when the world needs it the most. That's the Kraken mission, to accelerate the global adoption of cryptocurrency so that you and the rest of the world can achieve financial freedom and inclusion. Head on over to kraken.com bankless to see what crypto can be. Not investment advice, crypto trading involves risk of loss. Cryptocurrency services are provided to U.S. and U.S territory customers by Payward Ventures, Inc., PVI, doing business as Kraken. Arbitrum is accelerating the Web3 landscape with a suite of secure Ethereum scaling solutions. Hundreds of projects have already deployed on Arbitrum 1 with flourishing DeFi and NFT ecosystems. Arbitrum Nova is quickly becoming a Web3 gaming hub and social dApps like Reddit are also calling Arbitrum home. And now, Arbitrum Orbit allows you to use Arbitrum's secure scaling technology to build your own Layer 3, giving you access to interoperable, customizable permissions with dedicated throughput. Whether you're a developer, enterprise, or user, Arbitrum Orbit lets you take your project to new heights. All of these technologies leverage the security and decentralization of Ethereum and provide a builder experience that's intuitive, familiar, and fully EVM compatible. Faster transaction speeds and significantly lower gas fees. So visit Arbitrum.io where you can join the community, dive into the developer docs, bridge your assets, and start building your first app with Arbitrum. Experience Web3 development the way it was always meant to be. Secure, fast, cheap, and friction-free. Okay, David, that green candle we were looking at earlier, where did that come from? Did it come from this tweet? (laughs) Yeah, so Cointelegraph reported earlier this week, SEC approves iShares spot Bitcoin ETF. The approval of the spot Bitcoin ETF is the big thing that we are all waiting for. That's the one we've been waiting for. for. It's the big one. Yes. Uh, it's probably going to be the thing that kicks off the bull market. So Let's, this you know, is breaking news. Break, this was like way earlier than people expected. Like it's on the table to get an approval, but like we're kind of waiting for December, January, not what month is it? October. Uh, yeah. it, and then we got this surprising uh, like report from Cointelegraph that a uh, spot Bitcoin ETF got approved. Uh, Bitcoin. There's just one problem with this tweet, of course. And what's that, David? Uh, what? It's not true (laughs) at all. Yeah, yeah, right. The big problem. Yes, the big problem. Yes. Uh, But before it was realized to be not true, Bitcoin went all the way up above $30,000, touched $30,000, and then immediately fell back down because people realized that like, wait, 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 this is not, this is not real. Uh, Causing almost up to a hundred million dollars of liquidations on various exchanges. Oof, not great. Uh, And like I said, people quickly realized that like, wait, this is not confirmed. Can we get, can we get a source? Source, please. Uh, and no one was able to produce a source. So what uh, happened? How did this yeah. happen? So 
Uh, there was uh, some news telegram groups where people like share, are sharing news, sharing alpha, uh, and somebody just says in a telegram group, uh, uh, I found in my Bloomberg terminal that the iShares spot Bitcoin ETF was approved. So the source was this one guy said that he saw it in his Bloomberg terminal. If it's wow. in the Bloomberg terminal, it's legit. This guy yes. said it was in the Bloomberg terminal. It was yes. not in the Bloomberg terminal. <laughs> so that was the source was a uh -huh. rando on Telegram that said it was in the Bloomberg terminal. Yes. That is yeah, yeah. kind of the source. And yeah. then what happened from there? Yeah. And so Cointelegraph is part like one of the few people who's like in the arena of trying to break news as fast as possible. Like there's a big difference between first and second. And yeah. so they just absolutely jump the gun and send out the tweet, which sends the markets flying without verifying. Wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, and so like shorts get, get liquidated. Uh, Bitcoin adds in like billions of dollars onto its market cap and then loses it momentarily afterwards. Uh, not great. Not great. Uh, like BlackRock had to issue a statement saying like, no, uh-uh, no, it wasn't approved. It wasn't approved. Oh my God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is absolutely big. And then, so what did Coin Telegraph say on the back of this? Uh, they said, we're sorry. <laughs> did you see the, um, we messed there, was up. A, there was a news clip, I think, um, CEO or an executive at yeah, Coin Telegraph was at a conference. Telegraph representative, yeah, right. And um, you know, they they asked her about this event as it uh -huh. was going on, and and she spoke to the um, difficulty with the modern news ecosystem, right. the in, incentives like, around news, yeah, yeah, the pressure and incentive to get something out there as quick as possible, right? And yeah. a bunch of people saw this clip and were like, "Oh wow, she's totally <laughs> deflecting, yeah, all blame." That was not a very well accepted line. In yeah, <laughs> of crypto, <laughs> didn't, that didn't work out. Um, no, they didn't accept so, that one. So, what are we looking at here? Uh, okay, so then there was a bunch of speculation. It's like, okay, well, so, like, why would somebody was manipulating this market? Like, that was a move. Somebody made money here. Uh, so yeah. Fubar, I I don't know if this how to verify the integrity of this analysis. I this is beyond me. But he goes insider trading, t whopping uh, time weighted average price. This just means you buy more as more volume happens. An inside trader T-whopping in preparation for a fake Bitcoin ETF announcement tweet pumped, which retraced once shown false, yet higher than expected strength shown from people buying the fake ETF news is making people buy the <laughs> preparation for the real ETF announcement. Are there any questions? Oh Basically, Fubar is saying there were more buyers than anticipated uh, for the uh, ETF approval. And so now, as a result of that, people are actually buying Bitcoin. So this is a well, it was a fundamental catalyst, a real oh, wow. true fundamental catalyst. So we got more than a trial run. We actually, you mm -hmm. know, pe people were so bullish on the fact that price went up due to right. this fake news that they actually right. like, became bought. bullish. Became yes. bullish. Yes. It <laughs> so started, it, 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 it's a snake eating his tail, but it's like more people were caught off guard with how fast this uh, impacted the market. So people started buying and that's why that's why Bitcoin's up. Like, you know, it's not, I'm not gonna say it's all of the price action this week, but a decent chunk of it. So here's an account, for, uh, John Brown says, um, learnings from false rumors on ETF. Number one, the market eagerly anticipates an ETF. Two, most exchanges continue to work well under load and liquidations. Oh yeah, exchanges mm -hmm. didn't go down this time, yeah. David. Uh -huh. Number three, liquidity upwards is thinner than expected. Wow, yeah, it's true. It, like we just, yeah burst yeah, through those lines right, right through, yeah. and number four coin telegraph sucks oof, oof. uh sorry bad week for coin but telegraph. also that was your fault <laughs> you know what it was a bad week for journalism in general just like reporting on things yeah. like uh you know truth and accurate news yeah. and i think a lot of people realized um through like israel palestine conflict mm -hmm. and other things like right. how 
Journalism is uh, weird in this in this year. It's very bad. I mean, yeah. back to the Coin Telegraph executive. I mean, she's not wrong. There is this crazy incentive to get news out first without right. verifying the actual facts, and that's mm -hmm. happening in mainstream. Yeah, because if you verify, well. you come second. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Slightly unrelated, but this is Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, and probably one of the most plugged in people. It's, it's definitely to not unrelated. I don't know why you said that. It's extremely related. Well, I think he said it before the the ETF um, kind of debacle. But no, uh, let's no, play no, this no, clip. it is in response. Did you listen to the clip? Oh, really? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, yes. let's watch this. Yeah. This rally is way beyond the rumor. I think the the rally today is about a flight to quality. Oh my the, God, it is. You know, all the issues around the Israeli David, did war he just... now, um, global terrorism. And I think there's more people running into a fight to quality, whether that is in treasuries, gold, or crypto, depending on how you think about mm -hmm. it. And I believe crypto will play that type of role as a flight yeah. to quality. He wow. said flight he, to quality said, three times. He said crypto is a flight to quality, depending what? on your perspective. Everyone has their of own course. perceived uh, perspective. Uh, and then, but he said crypto is a flight to quality. Man, <laughs> hearts and minds. You know. Hearts and minds. But also uh, bags, David, because this is how I know Larry Fink has has uh, bags. Is Bitcoin Phil, ETF? Phil he's got something to sell. These are the rules. Fill yeah. then chill. I think he's filled, and yeah. I think the ETF is coming with uh, BlackRock here pretty soon. Oh, speaking of which, what's this? Yeah, so this is James Seffert who says uh, there's an update. BlackRock filed an updated Bitcoin ETF perspective early this morning. Uh, this is the morning of October 19th, Thursday. Uh, which is likely in their response to SEC comments that we've seen from ARK, Fidelity, and others. The conclusion, what does this mean? Just more confirmation that issuers are in talks with the SEC, which means that the SEC knows gonna that they're going to have to approve it. going to happen. Yes, have Gary, to approve can't, it. Gary cannot uh, reject it any longer. <laughs> He's going to get totally mowed over. It's coming. You know, um, you know when my, my next uh, climb, my mountain climb is scheduled yeah. for? Right what, around some of the deadlines for the spot oh, really? they claim <laughs> <have> approval. <laughs> it's it's January, isn't it? It's January. Oh my yeah. God, David! If that happens, we'll know for sure. You are on some kind of a quest with, on these mountains. These you, are the biggest mountains things. I've yet to climb, too. So the everything is the joke is together. every time David is climbing a mountain, he's mm -hmm. actually destroying a Gary Gensler Horcrux. Yeah, because Gary, so Gary Gensler <laughs> takes an L in the, some court somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, Uniswap. They're switching on fees. Okay, ah, but no, we've teased Uniswap this a couple labs. times. Uniswap, Uniswap labs. labs. All right, tell me about this. What are we looking at? Okay, so here is Hayden's announcement tweet about this. Uh, he starts off saying, I work in crypto because of the immense positive impact I believe it can have on the world, removing gatekeepers and increasing access to value and ownership. Uh, you know, he's TLDR. He's saying like, hey, guys, we're turning on the, uh, the fees on the Uniswap <laughs> front end. And okay. he's really kind of dressing it up. Uh, I what think are he, the fees? Uh, so the fees are 0.15% on a trade that goes through Uniswap.org. So the Uniswap.org website will add 0.15% fees to your Uniswap trade. And that's this is the not the app. Uniswap protocol. And this is, why, this is why everyone was upset and like why Hayden needed to make this longer announcement just to like, again, take caution around the announcement of Uniswap Labs turning on the fees. Uniswap protocol has not had no fees, still no fees. Okay. So there's two, there's two types of ways you could collect fees, right? Mm -hmm. So there's one on the protocol level. So yep. every time someone makes a, a swap, the protocol yep. could say, hey, we get, you know, point, Any, yeah, 15 basis number. points yeah. of that. We can know, have 10 basis, basis points, points of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then the other time to uh, collect fees is actually on the user interface itself. Right. The so where the transaction swap, is generated in the first place. 
Right. So if you do a swap right now on MetaMask, for instance, the MetaMask wallet, it charges you a fee. There's yeah. a swap fee that MetaMask yeah. then takes. That's like how point, it point generates revenue. Which is pretty high. Yeah, something like that. Mm -hmm. And so this is Uniswap saying, hey, now on Uniswap the Uniswap labs. UI, Uniswap, Uniswap labs, labs now on the UI, we're going to take 15 basis points, a swap yeah. fee, and mm -hmm. also in our web app itself. Mm -hmm. So in the um, in the browser wallet that Uniswap supports, they're going to take that too. Mm -hmm. So why is everyone upset, David? Everyone, people are upset because they feel like the Uni token has been abandoned. Uh, and I think that they think that Hayden has more of a responsibility to the uni token than what he has let what he's been shown uh, and so they feel upset that uniswap labs is a for-profit company that's trying to take care of itself and it's just abandoned token holders uh, and so uniswap labs has equity there are investors in uniswap labs a16z paradigm like own equity in uniswap labs they also own the token but the Uniswap Labs is taking the fee. And now the Uni token, which has like dangled the fee switch, like, oh, Uniswap V3, it's got a fee switch, guys, but it's not on. And where are the fees actually going? Is going to Uniswap Labs, uh, you know, the investors, the equity holders' pockets. And that's but not David, the Uni what's token the process? Holders. What's the process of turning that fee switch on to the for the Uni token? Because the right. Uni token could also have a fee switch yes. switch in yes. addition to we, Uniswap, like Uniswap Labs. This Uniswap protocol could turn on the fee switch and have that go to the Uniswap DAO, which would be in effect the Uni token. That is a governance vote. Um, I haven't gotten onto the details specifically, but it sounds like there has been a handful of attempts of turning on the fee switch. And the DAO has voted down. voted down. And we'll the people are that. pointing fingers towards the investors. I need to verify that. But that is the claim that investors, the large VC whales, have voted no on the protocol fee switch and yes on now. I think, I think yeah. David, some of them have, some of them haven't. This is yeah. Eric Connor with the, uh, the very pessimistic critical yeah, the very take bad of this take. move. The, the uh, very negative take towards Uniswap, not bad. So let me get this right. Uniswap launches Uni. That's the token. And in original launch, post-hype fees, a f uh, post-hypes a fee switch that gets people excited. Uniswap VCs tied closely to labs continue to make sure fee switch doesn't happen, allegedly. I don't know I don't know how true that yeah, is, but anyway, yeah, that's what that's, Eric says. That's, yeah. uh, Uniswap, leads, Uniswap labs enables fees for themselves. Mm -hmm. um, that's the charge. It's basically like rather than put the fee switch on the, the uni token side, you're just taking the fees in the UI side. Mm-hmm. Here's Nick Tomato who says, the purpose of a protocol token is to align the incentives of developers, investors, and users. And he continues, without pure alignment, users and retail get screwed worse than in Web 2. Uh, in Web 2, there is explicit misincentive, misalignment in incentives. We all know that Facebook's business is not aligned with its users. When a Web 3 protocol launches a token, alignment is assumed and reflected in the token distribution. When this turns out to not be the case, the users and the retail investors are deceived. This is wrong. So wow. that's, very, that's a more very, measured take than, than Eric Connor. Like, I don't, I don't think the VCs that own Uniswap Labs equity are like, guys, turn on the fees. Like they're just, yeah. they're doing other things. Like Hayden and the other executives at Uniswap Labs are like, we have a company and we need to make revenue at some point. Let's stop bleeding money and let's start making money. And so they turned yeah. on the fee switch. Well, that's what Jesse Walden says here, an another VC. Uniswap Labs products create lots of value for end users. This is an important step, talking about the fee switch for Uniswap Labs uh, on the way to sustaining that long-term value. And the healthiest protocols have sustainable products built on top. That is mm -hmm. Jesse's take on this, that you know they have to have a business model in order right. to continue to develop the wallet and continue to develop the user interface. Mm -hmm. 
And absent this, what, do you want them not to have a business model? Right. That's the take here. Some people will uh, say yes to that question. <laughs> yeah, uh, here's a take from uh, Leighton. What's he saying here? Yeah, here's Leighton Cusack saying, if you are mad that the Uniswap protocol fee switch is not on, these are the people to yell at. And then he lists a link that shows all of the major delegates towards the Uniswap, uh, the Uniswap protocol, which is A16Z, there's Jesse Walden, Gauntlet, Robert Leshner, Consensus, sorry to name names, but these are the people that have been delegated uni tokens. If you want to go turn the Uniswap uh, fee switch on, these are the people of influence that need to be convinced to vote for that. Uh, Leighton had another take on this, which mm -hmm. is maybe more the you know the positive side, and, and this is just positive. Maybe the positive is pro Uniswap Labs, is what you mean? Yeah, pro Uniswap Labs. He says this: there's a clear opinion divide in Uniswap Labs decision. Crypto builders who understand why it's good, and professional influencers who don't. I mm -hmm. think he's making the case that just like Uniswap Labs needs to have a sustainable right. business model. Like right. the builders need a way to generate revenue, right. and like if you're depriving them of that, then you're, you, they you're can, telling them that they can't exist. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so what? Let, let me ask you, what, what's mm -hmm. kind of your, your concluding thoughts on this? Uh, what's your concluding take, David? Yeah, there, there are some, we're going to read a Hasib take who I think there's just some analysis about the story arc that is where fees will ultimately converge in the fullness of time as it relates to front end versus protocol that I think are really, really good. Do you want me to pull up that Hasib Yeah, take actually, let, let's start there. Yeah, yeah. so uh, he's responding to this Matty uh, take who says, um, who's responding to someone, so we're kind of entering in the middle of the conversation. They say, I don't think it's that, that simple, but clearly there's some soft max aggregate fee that the market will bear. Soft max as mean like people only accept some amount of fees before they will move elsewhere or just not trade. So the market will develop some sort of limit as to like how many, how much fees users can bear. All else equal, the higher the fee earned by token holders, the less room is available to equity holders or, or front end people. Uh, Uniswap Labs, then Uniswap.org is not the only front end to the Uniswap protocol. Other front ends can trade on Uniswap and have different fees because that's just how this works. There's an asymmetry because routing fees to equity holders, the front end, less directly impacts token holders because users can trade on different interfaces. Uniswap, uh, Uniswap.org is there's no moat there. People can very easily type in a different URL to go to a different front end to trade there and just ignore the fee that has now been turned on by the Uniswap front end. And so Maddie continues and says, this asymmetry in payoffs help ex helps explain why one would expect the front end fee to be turned on first, and it is why it'll be increasingly difficult for the token to accrue fees. And Hasib just follows up and says, I totally agree with this and, and gives the analysis that I kind of agree with where many front ends will turn on fees and that will actually inform the protocol how much the market is willing to bear for their fees. It makes sense yeah. for the periphery to turn on fees first and then that is like user testing, market testing. And if the, the, the front ends all like kind of converge on like 0 0.15, 0 0.3, 0 0.1% of protocol fees. Well then the, the token holders, the deeper in the stack versus the interface have the information that they need. Like all of these front ends are taking 0.15%. Let's turn our fee on to 0.15% and totally rug all equity holders or all front ends because the protocol is understanding that this is what the market will bear. Protocols, are, they got to be mo slower to move than front ends. Front, like Hayden and Uniswap Labs, they just turned it on because they're a centralized company and they can just do whatever they want. The protocol is going to take a larger, longer time to move. This is just the nature of protocols. But like the token has the winning thumb war. They just need to turn on the fees. 
And I think this might be a moment in Uniswap's history where like, okay, that whole like promise of the fee switch was cute. Let's effing do it. And I hope that's yeah. how this plays out. And that's my opinion. That's yeah, my I, I think it can play out that way. I think I think there could be a fee there could be a fee on the protocol, obviously, and there could be a fee on the user interface. One one thing, when you put a fee on the user interface, even Uniswap Labs, um, they're inviting competition to enter the ring and right. build against the, the Uniswap yep. protocol and add their own fee as well. So mm-hmm. From a decentralization perspective, this might give give us a diversity of front ends yes. that we didn't have before. the The other, I think, um, factor in play here is obviously uh, the SEC. Okay, so like, yes, I think there is a world where the Uni token could have received uh, fees from even the fee switch on Uniswap one. user interface, right? And in from from day one. But how can you do that when you're a U.S.-based entity? Yeah, I think the, the question I would have for people who are saying, well, why can't um, Uniswap Labs just give those fees back to the protocols? Like, how can they do that in the U.S.? There's no right. way a U.S.-based company can actually share these fees to the uni token holders, given the current posture of the SEC in the U.S. 100%. Yeah. And so should they, should they break securities laws? And if you're saying, well, you know, Uniswap Labs already has a whole bunch of uni tokens, and right. why don't they just sell them to the market? Well, that's not a sustainable business model, right. and that's going to put downward p- pressure on the right. price of uh, the uni token anyway. And so that's kind of counterproductive. I don't know. I think in the fullness of time, some of this gets resolved. I do think the fee switch will happen on the uni token itself, right. and um, you know, hopefully, it gets resolved. But there are there are people that felt like this was. Um, Value extractive, right. I would say, from a, a from a uni Not governance aligned. token perspective. Yeah. Well, when we had, remember when you had Vance Spencer on the show to talk about smell, like the smell, yeah. the token index, synthetics maker, uh, ether, lido, link. Why? And we asked him like, "Yo, why isn't why isn't Uniswap here?" And he cited like, "I think there's a misalignment between equity holders and token holders," and he would be able to say like, "Yeah, this is what I was talking about." Yeah, I think my takeaways uh, from this are it's it's not good for governance tokens that don't have a real source of cash flow. If you're mm-hmm. just a governance token, if you're just a utility token, it's it's not great for that entire asset class. And uh, any U.S.-based token team, I don't think it's necessarily bullish for them either. Uh, and if yeah, if you're just a token without cash flows, you're just doing governance. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really calls into question like why that token is worth what it's worth right now. And right. so those are some of my takeaways. But you you think this is some bear market rabble rabble, don't you, David? Yeah, well, that, that was my headline of this meme. I, this is here, the man standing up for the freedom of speech meme. And I just say pr- the protocol fee switch and front end fees are just separate conversations. They're a separate conversation. People who I think are like mad at Hayden or Labs, I think are just muddling the waters here. And it's like, we, like the token has the power. We, do, we yeah. do need to be able to express it. So like perhaps shame on VCs if they are actually oppressing token holders from trying to turn that on, but they're also token holders too. Yeah. Uh, well, this could amount to a lot of revenue, I think. What are we right. looking at here? Yeah, so let's talk, just let's talk about the, the actual metrics behind this. So let's get some numbers to frame the debate that we're talking about. First, Uniswap DEX dominance on Ethereum is about 75%. So all DEX volume on Ethereum, all DEX trades, Uniswap accounts for 75%. So like that's huge. Pretty big Dominant. dominance on Ethereum. Like the yep. next biggest one is pancake swap at 7.4%. And so that's that's Uniswap DEX dominance. Uniswap has 75% of all DEX trades on Ethereum. The uniswap.org front end, which is what we're talking about with where the new fees are, that accounts for 35 to 40% of all Uniswap trades. 
So that's actually pretty a pretty healthy amount of trades going through the Uniswap front end. I don't know where the other like venues are, but like aggregators would be the next big one. Uh, and then also MEV, people just like trading straight through the protocol, no interface. Um, but like Uniswap is the definitely like the very the most popular place to trade on Uniswap, 35 to 40 percent. And so that is the 0.15 basis of percentage of fees. That's where that's coming from. Uh, this is uh, I actually just got this from Micah Belito from Blockworks. So this is their new Blockworks research uh, platform that they gave me access to, so I could uh, talk about this Uniswap Labs uh, trading interface. They just slapped this together. Pretty cool interface. Since the uh, since the fee switch has been turned on, the Uniswap Labs uh, organization has earned a hundred and ten thousand dollars, and that's been like over two and a half days, uh, and so a little bit over a hundred thousand dollars over 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 almost three days about $30,000 a day, about $12 million a year at current rates in a bear, in a bear market, market. Yeah. in a bear market. So Uniswap Labs is getting about $12 million a year from this, which is pretty, pretty good. It's yeah. Pretty good. Uh, but the context is they've lost some in the uni token, at least yeah. to the extent that Uniswap Labs was holding uni tokens. Right. So Uniswap fees went live five hours ago. They made 8K in that time. Meanwhile, they lost 200 million in market cap yeah. on the uni token over the past 24 hours. Yeah. So, so uni, uni token took a big hit in price. Well, not 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 big, not small. Yeah, so here's the here's the price of the uni token right after Hayden tweets. Uh, it goes from $4.20 down to $3.85. Uh, the actual, the release of the uni token happened at $3. So like it went up to like $45 in the top of the bear and that's oh all God. the way back down to basically it's like debut price, a little over $3. Um, I mean, if you think the uni fee switch is never getting turned on, then maybe, maybe you're bearish uni tokens. If you are, if you think that in the fullness of time, the fee switch will get turned on. Like this is, uh, th look at this dip. This is your dip. <laughs> this is a dip for you. Yeah, I mean, the market is uh, adjusting in real mm -hmm. time to information, right? right? And it looks like, you know, I, I guess one question I would have for you though, David, is, and this is a question I asked uh, on Twitter earlier this week is, uni tokens or coin? Which are you more bullish on? <laughs> like if you had to pick one, right? Because both are exchanges, right. but one is kind of like um, a squishy governance token that, maybe has a claim to fees such as they are. The other is like a fully registered security right. where you have like legal guarantees and where there's a management their job team. to make that thing go up in price. Yeah, with fiduciary right. responsibility. So it very much shows you that like the uni token is a different type of asset. It is certainly right. not a uh, you know, stock, right? It has different kinds of guarantees. Right. Um, but you're so, right. Okay. I mean, yeah, fully diluted valuation of Uniswap is now under $4 billion, uh, market cap $3 billion. Um, so there's some dilution that will eventually happen, but not, not too much. Coinbase yeah. valuation is at $18 billion. Uh, and so Coinbase is, a, like you said, it's an exchange. It's also got other lines of businesses that Uniswap does not have. Yeah. Uh, we did a podcast on this recently, exploring all their lines of businesses. We're actually going to talk about when they have an announcement. Uh, $18 billion versus $3 billion, $4 billion. That's interesting. Uh, it's, that is interesting, actually. I, I hold both. I hold both coin and uni. Uh, I'm I'm bullish both. And I, if I'm staking a bet, I think the Uniswap fee switch gets turned on sooner rather than later, like oh, in, inside of one cycle. Okay. Well, I am uh, temporarily bearish on governance tokens, yeah. but uh, that could that could certainly change. David, what do we have coming up next?
Coming up next, coming up next, SBF week three. How's it going? How's it going, Sam? How you doing? Well, we're going to ask you that. <laughs> we're going to ask that question. Uh, new Layer 2 live on Mainnet and Coinbase International Exchange launches. Uniswap's already international, but Coinbase is making its way there. Uh, and so we'll talk about all of these details and more. But first, a moment to talk about these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible, like MetaMask Portfolio. If you have not opened up your MetaMask Portfolio, because I know you have a MetaMask account, there is a link in the show notes to go open up your MetaMask Portfolio. It's pretty cool. Check it out. MetaMask Portfolio is your one-stop shop to navigate the world of DeFi. And now bridging seamlessly across networks doesn't have to be so daunting anymore. With competitive rates and convenient routes, MetaMask Portfolio's bridge feature lets you easily move your tokens from chain to chain using popular layer one and layer two networks. And all you have to do is select the network you want to bridge from and where you want your tokens to go. From there, MetaMask vets and curates the different bridging platforms to find the most decentralized, accessible, and reliable bridges for you. To tap into the hottest opportunities in crypto, you need to be able to plug into a variety of networks, and nobody makes that easier than MetaMask Portfolio. Instead of searching endlessly through the world of bridge options, click the bridge button on your MetaMask extension or head over to metamask.io slash portfolio to get started. David, we got to check on Sam Bankman-Fried this week. It is Sammy the boy. third week of his six-week mm -hmm trial, I believe. And I think this headline that we have up on the screen about sums it up, at least to me. Legal experts say SBF is in deep trouble. <laughs> things aren't looking too hot. Thanks, thanks okay? for that analysis. There you go. As former FTX CEO, Sam Bankman-Fried's criminal trial settles into its third week. Legal experts don't seem particularly optimistic about the ex-billionaire's chances yeah. of exoneration. I have, I have a number of friends who are not legal expert, experts who are watching, who are in the courthouse watching this, and they yes. say the same things. I don't know okay. if you need to be a legal expert <laughs> to say that. <laughs> Maybe it's the, more credible coming from a legal expert, though. Yeah, uh, you, you got this list. Bit. What's this last line saying? Uh, I'll read this last line in a second. There's a little bit of context, which is that there's a big question going on, which is, will Sam Bankman-Fried take the stand? Will he testify? Uh, yeah. Because I'm sure he has words to say, but if he goes up there, he will be questioned by mm. the prosecutor and are, do they want that? Like gut take, no, you don't. But the question is, the trial is going so poorly <laughs> that they kind of think like, well, there's not much to lose. So let's go for the Hail Mary. Well, you know what? SBF has always been a bit of a gambler, I'd he, say. I'm sure <laughs> SBF is like, put me in coach, put me in. <laughs> Uh, so what's so, this say? Uh, a former federal prosecutor and law professor at Duke says, it's very rare that a defendant can turn a case around mm. from the witness stand. Okay, not so, looking so good. But yeah, three not, things not happened so this good. week that mm -hmm. I think are worth uh, touching on. So one is uh, Sam's high school friend mm -hmm. goes on the witness stand. So Who what also are, what's worked, the TLDR worked at FTX. Oh, high school friend okay. and worked at FTX, yes. Cool, what's yeah. the TLDR from this part? Okay, so the TLDR here is that of, of all FTX executives that have testified so far, uh, Singh, uh, who's the friend, has the, the biggest, best moral compass. Um, one of my friends who was there who's reporting on it said that like they felt the most empathy for this particular gentleman uh, who described admitting, to, admitting guilt to various crimes, including fraud, money laundering, campaign finance violations, inside of the FTX arena. Uh, this individual described that he had felt suicidal in November of 2022 when FTX declared bankruptcy. Uh, he mentioned that there was a tense atmosphere among the executives in early November 2022. Uh, there was a war room of sorts that, quote, he said, a crazy blame game going on. So everyone kind of blaming everyone else. Um, 
go figure how like uh, Caroline just immediately defects and goes full prisoner's dilemma as like, I'm cooperating with the government. <laughs> um, uh, he confirmed that Alameda took billions from FTX and that SBF was the mastermind behind it. Like no shocker, no surprise there. That's like the third time that different people have all said this. Um, he also portrayed Sam as a formidable character who had met with many celebrities. Uh, he had described uh, the massive SBF spending habits uh, including endorsement deals with high, very high investments and then connections to ce uh, celebrities like Hillary Clinton, Katy Perry, Orlando Bloom, and the Jenner family. And quote, I honestly could not tell you what they do. As in like, why do we have these relationships? I don't know. And that was, I think this is the last FTX executive that will testify. So that, that wraps the whole like inner circle testimony. Another ghost from uh, 2022 is uh, Zach Prince. He is the mm. BlockFi co-founder and CEO. He apparently got on the witness stand and said, hey, you know why BlockFi went bankrupt? It was because right. of that guy right there. And mm. he pointed at SBF. Because he gave us fraudulent books. Yeah. Zach Prince said he would never have doled out funds had he known false balance sheets were being used. So he actually lent money to um, FTX. Right. Uh, 1.1 $1. billion to FTX. $1.1 $1. $1 on those. Remember we were talking about last week, the seven different alt balance sheets right. that FTX yeah, yeah. actually I, I, had. Yeah. So. I'm sure, I'm sure BlockFi got one of those. <laughs> I think alt number seven, ones. the worst one. <laughs> and lent him money based on it. Would have yeah. never done it. So all of the retail loss on BlockFi mm -hmm. of which, oh, there are, there are many, probably even bankless listeners. I was, right. I was one of those too, dude. Yeah, you were, you uh, lost money in BlockFi yeah. as a result of this. Um, and then there was this comment from SBF lawyers about whether Sam would attempt to jump on the witness stand or not. So unhinged. I don't think they're doing him any favors, man. What, what is he saying? <laughs> okay, so this is a, a tweet from somebody who's covering this uh, this uh, this debacle. SBF Sunday night filing a re-request for trial day Adderall, <laughs> so he can decide whether to testify. Quote: As we approach the decision of whether Mr. Bankman-Fried will testify. Because of the lack of access to Adderall, he will not be able to concentrate. And oh so they are saying, God. hey, we need to get Sam some Adderall so he can <laughs> so he can speak words coherently. I feel like that is not doing him any <laughs> favor. And doesn't great. he have an Adderall problem anyway? This is uh, how we I'm, got I'm, in I'm this whole I'm glad that Sam Bankman-Fried is off of his, of his amphetamines, off of yeah. his uppers. Wish it happened earlier, actually, yeah. honestly. G going back up to the Zach... Prince thing, the, the friend that I have that's down at the courthouse reporting, like what witness Zach Prince talked to like the jury and to everyone listening. And she just, she said that he was just like a huge douche. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Just like super cringe. Wouldn't stop using finance tech bro like lingo. And uh. the court had to stop him over and over and over again and say, hey, can you explain that? And like the reason why I'm, I'm pulling this out is like, and this is Natasha Hoskins from the Boys Club, by the way. Uh, they're doing a great job just like reporting on, on the, the court. Uh, she's in there like watching this happen. And so like the statement is that Zach Prince was totally managing BlockFi's uh, finances super well and it's up to Sam Bankman-Fried and it's all his, his fault. It's like, if you look at, she said like, they, he had to disclose some of his decision-making about whether to give Alameda money or not 
And she said, like, yeah, like, he was gambling too, man. Like, he was also <laughs> effing it up. He just has the benefit that he can actually point to Sam Bankman-Fried. But, like, Zach Prince was not yeah. doing good risk-adjusted analysis of yeah. the capital of his customers either. Well, that was, that, that was certainly evident. I think a lot of retail is feeling that now, David. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's go on to uh, br- brighter things. Away from the SBF trial, at least yeah. this week. We only have three more weeks of that. Um, Scroll Mainnet just went live. David, what's been launched? Yeah, scroll the ZK EVM bytecode equivalent with the EVM. That that ZK EVM just went live. So this is a true copy and paste your app onto scroll and it's good to go. That's what that means to be bytecode ZK EVM equivalent. Uh, open source from day one, created in collaboration with the Ethereum Foundation, interestingly, uh, and yeah. a community of independent collaborators. Uh, and so this is just kind of a, kind of a big day. Obviously, a big, massive day for scroll, but a a bytecode equivalent ZK EVM layer two on Ethereum is a big deal. Big deal for the ZK world, big day for the layer two world. So congrats to scroll. And we did an entire episode on this. If you want to find out more, go catch that episode. It's on the RSS feed and also our YouTube channel. And uh, David, do you know the um, the talented analysts mm. over at uh, the bankless airdrop hunter have actually put a few quests up that might make folks eligible for right. this uh, scroll airdrop if they launch a token at some point in the future. It's of a course. layer two, dude. <laughs> how, how do you decentralize a layer two without a token? That exactly. Is, uh, I don't know how you do else. That's, that would be new. We have no special knowledge on nope. you know, how uh, they might disseminate logic. this token, <laughs> but um, we've got some folks that are hunting the, the airdrop opportunities here. And, I mean, we uh, asked Sandy and Torgal, hey, are you guys going to win the token? And they yeah. said that they are not focused on a token. Not yep. that there wasn't a token, but they're not <laughs> focused on it. So bankless.com slash airdrop hunter if you want to join some quests and, uh, and and do that. David, there are some perps coming out of Coinbase. What are we looking mm-hmm. at here? Yeah, so this is the Coinbase International Exchange launch. So perpetual futures have arrived, not for Americans, sorry. Uh, and so if you are in uh, eligible non-US countries, you can now trade Bitcoin, Ether, Litecoin, and XRP. Fantastic perpetual contracts coinbase.com slash perpetuals is the new exchange okay but why, why is this a big deal ryan like well thank you thank you for asking um, <laughs> you remember you remember bitmex that's yeah. that's was a huge exchange it's gone under uh uh ftx how, like was famous for its perps that also went under binance has eaten up the market share for perps what are uh, perps by the way uh it's kind of like our crypto native version of options or like native leverage. It's actually like a financial primitive made by crypto people for crypto people that actually could get ported back into TradFi. Like this, TradFi can do this too. Uh, We just made perps based on the constraints of blockchains. Uh, So this is kind of like our contribution, crypto's contribution to the world of financial primitives. Turns out there's still things that you can build there. Yeah, and it, it, they allow you to go margin long, right? It's, like, yeah, so super capital efficient. It, like, if like, how do you, you know, whenever you see those like advertisements for like a hundred x leverage on some like B tier exchange that you don't know anything about, yeah, that's a perp. That's yeah. a perp. Uh, and so perps because like derivatives, it's it's a derivative. It's a derivative financial product under the purview of the CFTC, which is why Bitmex went under because the CFTC is like, hey, Bitmex, you can't, you're not registered. You need to go away. Uh, and so then it went away. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so the derivatives market's massive just because of the capital efficiency that you can get. You can get like leverage on your money. Like $1 means up to $100 of capital. Uh, and so this is why exchanges like Coinbase are chomping at the bit to be able to 
service this demand because the, the fees outpace the fees that you can take on the spot market. The fees are lower, but the volume is much larger. Yeah. Uh, and so Coinbase, I'm sure, is just very stoked to be able to enter this market slowly, like in good old Coinbase fashion, just like very late. Uh, but they're now in the game and they're doing it, well, it's, I'm it's assuming, a game in a compliant way. FTX has uh, completely like left open, right? It's just right. really, it's, it's just like, first dominated and then died. That you died, but you know, Binance is the big player here. And if right. you look at actual trading volumes, I mean, look, all of this orange, David, this looks mm-hmm. like it's uh, about 70%, 75% mm-hmm. of all exchanges actually happens in these perps, right. um, perps tokens and derivatives. And it's not on spot. Yeah. It's so spot insane. is about 25% of volume. Uh, derivatives perps is about 75%. We actually just recorded a a bull case for coin episode with a couple of uh, crypto Twitter analysts. Uh, And so we actually have some speculation about like, what could this mean for Coinbase, the company? So let's go hear some hypothetical numbers. If Coinbase is able to do what FTX did from January 2021 to January 2022 over that year, um, Coinbase would make uh, $720 million dollars. Okay, that, that's a bit bigger. That'd be good for a 23% jump in Coinbase's overall revenue. So now, now we're getting into things that Big are really going to potentially move the stock. And then if we go even crazier, all right, and think about Binance, which is obviously the whale in all exchange talk. If Coinbase is able to capture 25% of Binance's volume on perps, that would mean 3.6 billion with a B, billion, uh, revenue jump. And that's good for a 97% increase over last year's total revenue for, for Coinbase. And then, you know, we can get crazier from there, but, you know, you, you can kind of see how, how, how quickly, how much money, you know, this product can throw off for Coinbase. You could get crazier <laughs> from there, but perps are absolutely massive. It's a huge opportunity for, yeah. uh, for us exchanges like Coinbase. So, yeah. I think this is the big question, which is like Coinbase is going after Binance's market share. They're entering the international offshore exchange arena. How much perp capital trading volume desires the comfiness of an onshore United States company that's producing this offshore exchange? How much capital will go from like, oh, I prefer Brian Armstrong over CZ? That is an unknown question. Yeah, I think so. There's also an unknown question as to how much of this market share DeFi can take, right? There's like... There's only um, of of all of the the players in kind of perps today. It's only really mm. DYDX that has yeah. any kind of market share, and that's yeah. still tiny. It's just yeah. like one percent. So there's got to be some new perp designs right. that that happen in DeFi to take some of this uh, market opportunity away. Yeah. So we will see. David, I just uh, saw this when we're getting into the agenda, and uh, my only conclusion is this: David Elizabeth Warren is actually trying to kill crypto. Like she actually is. I think it's aggressive. I think it's 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 coordinated. This is a letter led by Elizabeth Warren. Has some other um, senators who have signed off on it. But she's basically asking the IRS to speed up its crypto tax reporting rules. And these are some tax reporting rules that would be absolutely disastrous for DeFi in the United States. In particular, uh, they make it such that all DeFi user interfaces, as very vaguely. Um, defined as they are, which could mean something like Etherscan, for instance, and, and certainly uh, could, could mean something like the Uniswap uh, front end or crypto wallets. It, it could expand to basically all of the interfaces and applications that we use in DeFi. They would have reporting obligations, IRS reporting obligations, all right? And so this is a, an interpretation that the IRS has um, had 
recently that they, they, they put out publicly and the public is now commenting on that. In fact, mm. we're doing an entire episode about this. We're gonna be putting this out next week with the DeFi Education Fund on how disastrous this interpretation of the tax rules would be by the IRS and what we can do about it, how, how we can push back against it. But Elizabeth Warren here in this letter, David, is saying that the IRS should accelerate its implementation of these tax rules. Originally, the IRS was going to deploy them over the next two years, and she says, we can't wait that long. We gotta push this forward even faster. And uh, yeah, that's it's incredibly alarming what's going on, and that, that's not the only thing. Um, she actually penned an op-ed this week in the Wall Street Journal titled, Cryptocurrency Feeds Hamas's Terrorism. Okay? Oof. Oof, wait, we just know that that's just false. We know like, that that's false. You can see it on chain. You can see the lie on chain. It's just opportunistically dishonest. This is like low rung politics. Hamas is obviously in the news right now and her association of that with crypto is completely targeted. It's completely aggressive. And mm -hmm. I, I don't know why they're doing this. I don't know why she is doing this uh, specifically, but this seems like an aggressive targeted campaign against crypto. I'm very concerned about this um, IRS interpretation, right. uh, implementation of, of uh, tax code laws, uh, but it just doesn't stop there. It's been like the entire trajectory of Operation Choke Point over the last 12 months or so, and I have no idea where it's coming from. So that is the context here. We are uh, definitely under attack in crypto, and I feel like I haven't fully realized it until um, lately how bad it's actually gotten, how coordinated and aggressive it is. Right. I think, uh, I mean, we as crypto citizens in the United States, like definitely we would enjoy improved and updated tax uh, guidelines for how we do taxes. And that's not what we're getting. Uh, and like we want precise and aligned tax guidelines. And what we're getting is like this blunt tool. And then Elizabeth Warren is like, yeah, but now faster. Like just hit them with a the hammer, hit them with a the hammer. Yeah. That's, that's basically what is, what is Elizabeth Warren doing? She is understanding that like she can get $50 billion, that's the number that she cited, uh, $50 billion of taxes out of crypto. If we just hit them with this massive blunt like tax ban hammer, and it's basically a way to like, you know, to, to push the industry away and saying like, hey, everything you're doing, just like blunt taxes. It's, it's, just, it's, it's, just, like, it's just a hammer. It's certainly pushing uh, a lot of crypto, I think, interest out of the United States, yeah. at least for right now. So, But we are winning in the court system, David. What yep. are we looking at here? Yeah, so this is a headline out of Bloomberg saying, SEC won't appeal court decision pay paving the way for Grayscale Spot Bitcoin ETF. Uh, and so this is just another indication that we have of Gary Gensler and the SEC backing down in the courts. Uh, and so they, the SEC lost the court case against Grayscale about um, turning their spot, their uh, Bitcoin treasury into a spot Bitcoin ETF. They could have appealed it. They did not. So yeah. weak, uh, weak Gary. Yeah. It's, uh, it's going well in the court mm -hmm. system. At least we got that going for us. David, what are we looking at? This was a release this week that was uh, notable. Yeah. Back, back to some crypto native stuff. Uh, EtherFi. Uh, tweets out, after a tremendous amount of hard work by the whole EtherFi team, we are excited to announce that we are shipping our LST E-ETH. So lowercase e, ETH. It is an LST, like Lido, like Rocket Pool, like Diva, uh, except it's different because it's Eigenlayer's native restaking token. Uh, and so it is a liquid staking token that is also earning the yield of Eigenlayer restaking networks. So it's all the yield 
bundled up into one token. So you would expect, logically, it has the yield of Ethereum staking and what other, whatever other eigenlayer networks are also up and running in the early stages of eigenlayer. Uh, and so it would, in theory, have more yield, which is why it's cool. Money Legos, David. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good meme. Good meme. David, I, what do we have coming up next? Did I ever tell you about the sad story of Money Legos, Adith? Uh, no. Yeah, it's tell the only that. private keys that I've ever lost. Ah, oh, what happened owns, to them? Owns my, it was in my Argent smart contract wallet, and I lost the Guardian, and I don't know where this, yeah. So oh, I think sad. Money Legos, Adith expires in like 2025, and I'm just going to like watch it, watch it go. Does it have, uh, okay, and does it have uh, any crypto in it? Or not much? Just I, th- the, I think I lost my Arbitrum airdrop uh, in there as well. Sad. Well, uh, speaking of um, crypto people If anyone buys something. money like Ozadith, please talk to me. <laughs> it's, the, it's the one meme that I made that I'm super proud of. Other um, than Triple Point Asset. I do own that one. Speaking of people losing crypto, we've got to tell you the story of Jimmy Zong, who is the guy who had $3 billion in Bitcoin in his basement, and he lost it to the FBI, okay? It's going to be story time coming up after the break. David, what else we have? I actually have a story time for you as well. It's completely unrelated, but <laughs> okay. it's one of the biggest bear market signals, and it's all the MEV searchers have moved to restaurants in New York City. That's <laughs> something I learned about this week. Uh, and then, of course, we have a take a takes of the week, a one take from DJ and Spartan about crypto as the mirror image of stocks and a few other things and what David and Ryan are bullish on. So we're going to get to all of this and more. But first, a moment to talk about these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. Cello is the mobile-first, EVM-compatible, carbon-negative blockchain built for the real world. And now, something big is happening. Introducing the Cello Layer 2. It's a game-changing proposal that's going to bring Cello's rapidly growing ecosystem home to Ethereum. Vitalik has shared his excitement for the Cello Layer 2 on the Cello forum. So has Ben Jones from Optimism. But why? The Cello Layer 2 will bring huge advantages like a decentralized sequencer, off-chain data availability, and one block finality. What does all that mean? Rock-solid security, a trustless bridge to Ethereum, and more real real-world use cases for Ethereum without compromise. And real-world adoption is happening. Active addresses on Celo have grown over 500% in the last six months. With the Celo Layer 2, gas fees will stay low and you can even pay for gas using ERC-20 tokens. But Celo is a community-governed protocol. This means that Celo needs you to weigh in and make your voice heard. Join the conversation in the Celo forum. Follow at Celo.org on Twitter and visit Celo.org to shape the future of Ethereum. All right, David, you ready for story time? I, I love story time. All right. So do you remember that guy uh, that we we're talking about? Like the FBI suddenly discovered uh-huh. $3 billion worth of Bitcoin. That was in November right. of last year. It was uh-huh. in the midst of a lot of craziness, I think, the SBF stuff and all yeah. of this. So we didn't talk about it for, for very long. But the story was the FBI uncovered $3.6 billion worth of Bitcoin from some guy's basement in Georgia, in Gainesville, Georgia. Yes, Gainesville, Georgia. <laughs> Uh, and this was Bitcoin from the original Silk Road hack. This was Bitcoin that was actually stolen from Dread Pirate Roberts uh, of the Silk Roads. It was 50K worth of Bitcoin. And suddenly it popped back on the FBI's map and they raided somebody's house and confiscated $3.6 billion worth of Bitcoin. So at the time, it was just a crazy story. We didn't know very much about it, but um, here are the details here. So the guy's name was James Zong of Gainesville, Georgia, and he pleaded guilty to all of this stuff. James was apparently living the high life in Gainesville, Georgia, okay? This is a, this is a picture of James right here. 
This is James and his friends, <laughs> Gainesville, Georgia. For the podcast listeners, up. this is the stereotypical crypto nerd who stumbled into a ton of wealth and now has two attractive women at his side. Yes. Uh, so Multiple here's times. Here's, one, on here's the same picture I just described, but now on a boat. Yes. So um, how did the FBI actually track this down? So apparently Jimmy, as his friends call him, not, not just Jimbo. James, Jimmy, um, he had a break-in actually. So he had a break-in in 2018 or so, and somebody broke in. It's assumed to be one of his friends or somebody close to his uh, circle broke in, stole some of his Bitcoins. So mm -hmm. he called the cops. And it was only like 150 Bitcoin, which is a small amount for, for him. He's like mm. half a million dollars or something. But he called private investigators to go help him with that. Mm. And so he was on private investigators' radar. And then in 2019, he uh, mistakenly sent a transaction to a centralized crypto exchange that had oh, AML KYC to him. Right. That's how so he effed up. Add his identity, all right? And this put him on the radar of Chainalysis, who mm -hmm. of course tracks all of these different uh, addresses. Um, they probably know a lot about you, bankless listener, li you know, listening yeah. to this, and yeah. uh, your on-chain profile. And they flagged this particular address with uh, Jimmy Zong's you know, identity, and they called the FBI. And so two- That is under, a huge own goal. Oof. Yes, yes. Unfortunate mistake for Jimmy Zong. Um, so two FBI agents show up to his house. They pretend that they are private investigators as well. And they're trying to help him um, find the, origin, the 150 Bitcoin that somebody stole from his house. And so he invites them in. He shows them- you know, his basement and the cool like stripper pool that he has installed there. Oh my God, he had a stripper <laughs> yeah. pool in his house? Yeah, he did in his basement. Oh. Uh, and so they talk and, you know, they, 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 they chum it up and they just discover more about uh, Jimmy and it becomes pretty he obvious. He invites them into his home and he just gives yeah. them everything. Yeah, he's just a really friendly, he's a, he was a friendly guy by, by all accounts. But um, these FBI agents are clearly, you know, vet, vetting more information. They're building the case. And then they show back. They show up another time. This time with like a full warrant right. uh, for his arrest and the ability to to search his house because they 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 know essentially right. he's got more Bitcoin. Yeah, because in fact might be the Silk him. Road uh, thief. Yeah. I mean, he stole from a thief, so he's the th the thief of the thief. Uh, and apparently, Jimmy was hiding a lot of his Bitcoin in a Cheetos popcorn tin. So oh. <laughs> there was there was millions of I, dollars. That's where I keep my private keys, you know. His <laughs> <laughs> Cheetos popcorn uh, tin, and then also under the floorboards of his house. So here's how a Bitcoin OG um, actually hide uh, hid his Bitcoin. You and know, that's is. kind of what I had in mind. Actually, that's yeah. what I envisioned. Uh, looks some, very much. Uh, it looks like a, a like uh, like tens of thousands of dollars of cash, some silver, yes, yes. and some private keys. Yeah, some private keys. And do you remember these? These are actually like um, the- yeah, What are those called? Cacatus coins? Cacatus yeah, coins? exactly. Yeah. So they're yeah. actually Bitcoin representations in, in kind of a coin form. And then yeah. uh, of course, you know- I don't, I've never actually understood how those USB work. keys. Yeah. Uh, anyway, completely busted. But the craziest part of this story, I feel like, so they arrested Jimmy. He got uh, a year in prison. Of course, they took all of the Bitcoin back. Um, but the craziest thing about this, David, is- um, the government wasn't even really that mad. And do you know why? It's because he was a hooligan. Yeah, no, no, he was a holder. That's what he was. Oh, J Jimmy yeah. Zong did not spend 
any of this Bitcoin. All right. And so what Bitcoin. What, well, yeah, because because he would get in trouble. I know. But what the what the FBI originally did was they obviously they got all this Bitcoin from the Silk right. Road from uh, Ross Albrecht and then they sold it. Um, right. Fairly, fairly immediately, like a year. And then, who, you know, who's the guy later. that that bought it? Um, what's his face? James Draper. Draper. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. VC. And he yeah. did and quite it, well. It, on it that. went for a premium because the government was selling it, so it was like, "Yo, this is clean Bitcoin. This is good. This is like uh, cleaned by the government." And so it went for a premium. Yeah. Back then. So, but if they had gotten this Bitcoin at that time and sold it, uh, uh-huh. they said they would have gotten three hundred twenty dollars a coin, or they would have made the government would have made fourteen million dollars, and because Jimmy. Zong diamond handed it for like 10 years. Now the government got three, three billion in profit, like 3.6 billion in profit. Nice job, Jimmy. (laughs) Nice job. So that is the story of Jimmy Zong in Gainesville, Florida. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, you know, wishing, wishing the best David, we got some takes of the week. What's the first one we're looking at? Bankless Nation should be pretty familiar with the takes like these. Now, this is a Tommy from from Delphi goes, congrats, United States. The Celestia airdrop is not accessible to you. There's 800 million Telegram accounts and US users that cannot access the in-app wallet of Telegram. There are zero DYDX nodes in the new DYDX chain that are inside of the United States. And eigenlayer restaking nodes not in the United States will see premium usage. As in, if your eigenlayer node is not in the United States, you will make more yield. You, imagine being this protected from the future of technology. I am so protected. Protected from all of this upside, all of these gains, all of these uh, airdrops. David, Mm -hmm. what are we looking at here? This is a MEV take. Yeah, so this is is my my story time for you. This is uh, something that I learned during my my gossipy travels in New York. Okay. Uh, Okay, so you you know what an MEV searcher is, right? Yes. You want to explain what an MEV searcher does for the Bankless Nation? you, You explain it. Okay, uh, so MEV searchers, they just scrawl the blockchain and they find arbitrage. So they rebalance SushiSwap and Uniswap. They just, they just, you know, they sandwich people. They just find arbitrage opportunities. Little nanobots and looking, little, little nanobots up all the profit. Yeah. That make markets on Ethereum in DeFi extremely efficient because if it's, there's an inefficiency, they will eke out that profit. Um, lately, the, that skill set has some searchers, there are some searchers out there. They might be listening to this right now for a shout out. <laughs> uh, there are some searchers out there who I, are, I are either bored by the bear market, aren't finding profit on Ethereum in the bear market, or just are intrinsically interested to take their skills to other venues. Yes. This is appointmenttrader.com. Apparently, there are at least two searchers out there who are very good at their jobs, who are now searching out for arbitrage opportunities on appointmenttrader.com. What is appointmenttrader.com? Well, there are a number of uh, restaurants and neighborhoods in New York where like if you want to get a reservation, you have to like hit refresh for the week that that re- that restaurant will open up their reservations for and then you like get it as soon as possible otherwise you're not getting a reservation. If you have a reservation, you can sell it on the secondary market no for some way. For, for a buyer of that reservation. So people will this is it's like ticket sales. So yeah. bots are but bots are going and they are are MEV, they, they are yeah. MEVing like New York restaurant <laughs> opportunity, like reservations. NFTs. <laughs> and so, so like they, they will, they'll try and bot the, and, and make the first reservation, but then they will also arb between reservations as if there's, if somebody is like selling a reservation for too cheap, they'll buy it up and then resell it. <laughs> and That's they'll sandwich, hilarious. they will arb out New York restaurants. So like 
the unit, the New York restaurant liquidity market is like made <laughs> very deep. Like the order book for New York restaurant restaurants is liquid <laughs> because of these goddamn wow. MEV searches. Well, can we tokenize it and can we yeah, spin up a Uniswap market? I, I, that is going to be up to them, man. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. This is a theory of exporting this technology to the world. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, this yeah. is take from DJ and Spartan. What are we looking at? Yeah. So DJ and Spartan, uh, made a good take. I thought it was interesting. He says crypto is the mirror image of the stock market. He actually says crypto is the mirror image of the stock market because he is a crypto Twitter DJ yeah, and that's, that's the words that persona, they use yeah. in stonks. You get a big dump every few years when panic supply overwhelms a stable demand. That's that was the COVID dump. That was you know anytime there's like a big. This is like the Berkshire Hathaway model. You just you just hold a bunch of cash, and then when there's uh, what DJ Spartan says, a panic supply overwhelms a stable demand. You buy those in the stock market. Mm-hmm. In crypto, in gri- grip two, uh, you get a get a big pump every few years when panic demand overwhelms a stable supply. You sell those. And this is kind of how I've described crypto bull markets every now and then is like society just is going to forget about crypto for three years. And then one year, all of society remembers crypto exists. And then they realize, and they they realize that we've made three to four years of progress. And they're like, oh, I'm underexposed. Bye. Yep. That's if you you are part of the, exactly right. And if you are part of the stable supply, you bankless listener, you are part of the stable supply. You sell those is what uh, DGen is saying. And I, I, think, I just like to dress a position. I do. And I, I think that if if you do dabble in trading at all, like, so it's optional whether you sell those or not, right? right? Some yeah. long-term holders will be like, who, yeah. what do I care? Why? It's noise yeah. on the way down. It's noise on the way up. What do yeah, I care? Yeah, I'm going to hold for another yeah. 10 years, right? Um, or you could dabble a little bit in, mm-hmm. in trading, right? right? Which is like what I would long-term say. Long-term trading, I would Yeah, call long-term it, yeah. trading, which is you just sell a little bit mm-hmm. when when everybody else is FOMOing in because that's right. what they're going to do, right? They right. they don't they panic buy rather than panic right. sell. That's uh yeah, it's a good take. David, yeah, yeah, here's yeah. an Eric Voorhees take. Like every bank in the world, FTX was closed source custodial, spied on and censored its users and advocated for compliance with government regulation. Open source, non-custodial, permissionless finance is the antidote. This Love is what that. pisses me off so much about um Elizabeth Warren yeah. and others in the US actually trying to clamp down on DeFi. Using and, terrorism as a cudgel? Yeah, and 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 trying to shut down our open source, non-custodial, permissionless finance because that is the thing that um, worked when FTX and BlockFi and all of the other you know centralized lending providers were, were going under. And so um, taking that away from us, basically, that's, you know, <laughs> how, how are you helping any American when you do that? Yep, hundred percent, David. Um, what are you bullish on? What am I bullish on? Yeah, you're going first this week. Okay, I'm going first this week. Uh, this yeah. is actually not something I'm bullish on. This is oh. another. I guess it's story time week because. Okay, all right, cool. This was like the most bizarre thing I think I've seen so far in like or this year in crypto. It's called Joson. All right, let me explain to you what Joson is. Joson is the first blockchain ecosystem, uh, first ever virtual nation state. I saw this from a newsletter I read uh, telling me about Josan. I was like, oh, cool. It's Bology's network state idea. Let me go right. look into this project. So, David, this is the project. You see, this okay. is Josan.com. Josan f- or Josian? Josian? Uh, Josan. The first okay. cyber nation state recognized by a UN member nation. All right. That sounds promising. 
So uh, Joseon mm-hmm. is a non-territorial successor state to the Joseon Empire, which was a Korean empire uh, that founded in 1392. Okay, a Korean so empire. Yeah, so we're going back in history, okay. and this is the successor crypto nation state to the original Joseon Empire, you know, founded in 1392. So I was like, okay, who what is says this? who is the, why Our, is this the successor? Some, some crypto person is like, hey, we're going to carry on the legacy. Okay. So um, the country name, other names for this are the Chosen Empire, the Korean Empire. Um, the language is any, any language, right? It's oh, an okay. internet community. So it's not just English. It's, it's any language. Freedom of religion. Okay. Uh, freedom of censorship. They have a currency called the um, mu, uh, mun. Mu, mun, mun. Yes, excuse mun. me. The mun, which is the legal national currency that has all of the benefits of a cryptocurrency. Wait, the government. It, it's, a, it's a crypto. It's a crypto. Asset, yeah, there's a cryptocurrency. Crypto this is okay. all. This is all on chain. Okay. Yep. This is yep. an okay. EVM based side chain called Joson. It's a digital country. Okay. The government. Here's where. Here, here's where it gets very interesting. The government is a constitutional monarchy. Okay. Uh, okay. There's a king. Right. I would imagine it's the guy who wrote the words that we're reading. Yeah. It, his name is Andrew Lee. King Andrew Lee. His imperial highness. Okay. This is the founder of a crypto nation state. And he put himself as the sovereign king of this thing. Okay. Because of, of course, you. that's exactly what you would do. <laughs> of, course, of, course, of course you would do Who's this. Who's going to join this country where this at guy least, is the at king? At least one person. Okay, so who is this guy? I, I looked up the, the white oh, paper. Oh, these are some names that I've, these are some old names. Wow, His name Jimmy is Andrew Caleb. Ling. Yeah, Andrew, Andrew Lee, Lee, excuse me. It's been 10 years since I made this statement. This is a statement he made. Um, uh-huh. He said, in 50 years, I hope to be live on earth. However, if I'm not, I hope to be known in history as a man who helped bring happiness to the world. Oh. Um, it's been 10 years since I made this statement, 11 years after I declined joining Rip, Ripple's leadership team for 6% of all XRP coins. So he declined that. And 12 okay. years since I voluntarily left the world's leading Bitcoin exchange. And now he has set himself up to be the king of Joseon. And do you want to look at uh, Joseon's uh, tokens here, David? How many tokens so he has? This, this, this proud country... 20% goes to the Joseon government, 5% to Joseon officials, government Which officials. Is also him. Yes. Uh, 65% goes to the Joseon Ministry of Isn't this all him? Yes. This is all him. And then 10% uh, issuance goes to kind of like anybody, I guess, who wants to buy in. Which is so, also him. Yes. Wait, but is there anyone else in this new country that's not him? I have no freaking idea. I mean, you can buy the MUN token if you want, so you can be a Joseon. Uh, they're, they're not called being citizens. in this digital uh, nation, uh, nation state? What is this? It's a network state? The, yeah, what it's do a network I get? state. What do I get? Well, it's not, how, why, it's not how really do I join? clear. It's not really clear what the upside is, but you could definitely buy some MUN tokens, and you can join this. Um, you can become a denizen, which is a little bit different than a citizen. They have a different take on it. It's like this quasi-corporate entity and you can join this country where this guy, uh, Andrew Lee, is is king, and you can pledge your allegiance to him. And I was thinking as I was reading this, so this is what we're doing with Balaji's network state ideas. We're cre- we're creating these uh, network states with like kings in them, and it made me a little sad. But also, that's probably how we start, right? Like, there's going to be all of these cults and weird network state experiments first. And then maybe we'll land on something that is actually uh, wholesome and decent. So that's the story of Joe San, David. Uh, and if you become a denizen, I mean, let me know. 
and tell me how it is. You know, it might be cool. I can't tell if you just wasted my time or not. <laughs> what the hell was that? I definitely wasted your time. What are you bullish on this week, man? Oh my God. I don't know. How do I come back from that? I have so many more <laughs> questions. Uh, okay. Uh, what am I bullish on? Uh, I wrote this article. I'm bullish on everyone reading this article. Yeah, that's the TLDR. The article is titled five big questions about the future of crypto. Um, usually when I write, I have some idea that I very much believe in that I want to express that it's like, I think I'm right about. And this one is the opposite of that. This is five questions that I would like to have answered so that I can have some clarity about crypto. Um, but the point, the point is that these are, I think, very important questions. Uh, and one the first one, like is how, what does the future of Ethereum scaling look like? We know it's rollups, but actually there's still plenty of more questions. Many super uh, chains are one Uber chain, huh? Yeah, one Uber chain is a term that I just made up. And then there are also sub-questions to help answer the questions. Uh, two, where does value get captured in the roll-up stack? There's a tension here between roll-up as a, as a service providers versus layer two tokens. So I kind of unpack that. Uh, number three, uh, where is the equilibrium of liquid staking tokens? Uh, there's a bunch of, you know, there's more than like just one dominant right. LST or many. Right, exactly. Uh, number four, does Solana get gobbled? I mean, Bankless Nation kind of understands my uh, my general take there, but I think there's some- You have some... a fixation on Solana, David, don't you? Well, yeah, I think Ethereum's going to gobble it up. Interesting. But is that, is that the question? Is it going to do that? But also the oh, most look. important one. Is this one of our Discord conversations? Yeah, I, I ripped, I screenshotted one oh, of your yeah, comments. Oh, yeah, but you got, yeah, yeah. You, you asked for that. I remember that. Okay. I did ask for that, yeah, yeah. Uh, but the most important one of the five is how do we get price discovery to happen on chain? Rather there, than who, on centralized exchanges, which exactly. is where it happens now. Right. Currently, price discovery happens on Binance. And mm. if it wasn't happening on Binance, then it would be happening on Coinbase. Okay. And if it wasn't happening on Coinbase, then it would maybe be happening on Uniswap. It should be considered unacceptable to all crypto believers out there that price discovery about the assets that our crypto networks produce happen ex and exogenously. It needs to happen endogenously. We need endogenous price discovery over our own assets. And until we can rip the trophy of price discovery from the hands of centralized exchanges, we will always be in their shadow. So how do we get price discovery on chain is like the big question. And that's what I'm bullish on. It's not, I'm not bullish on anything. Please go read the article. <laughs> you know what, David? These um, the, these are five excellent questions. I think, and mm -hmm. I think that you know, uh, I learned a lot more from your bullish what you're bullish on segment than you probably learned uh, from mine about Josan, David. But that's like, these are really true. good takes. That's good takes. definitely true. What do we got for meme of the week here? Uh, meme of the week. We're throwing it back to the Uniswap drama. Uh, the uh, the tweet is devs absolutely unhinged about this one, and it's the regular old Uniswap interface, but with the option to leave a tip. Would you like to leave a fifteen percent tip, twenty percent tip? Are we gonna say, Are we gonna say that thing obligatory of like, uh, man, tips are getting insane, aren't they? Tips like every, are getting insane. Yeah. Everybody, everything's asking for a tip, and it you know yeah. that it's it's not starting at five percent anymore. It's like ten percent, fifteen percent, twenty, twenty five percent. I, I always tip restaurants, of course, and I try to draw the line very firmly there. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. Tipping is everywhere. Tipping <laughs> culture is in. So now it's uh, been added to the Uniswap UI. David, <laughs> we got a really cool moment of Zen. Actually, this is. Do you know Theo Vaughn? It's not that cool. Well, he's a, he's a comedian, and it's uh, funny. But I think it perfectly captures what normies think about crypto right now. 
and mm-hmm. about NFTs, yeah, mm-hmm. NFTs and about uh, our computer money. So right. we'll we'll play that right after we get through the disclosures and the risks and disclaimers. First disclosures: David and I are investors in Scroll. Uh, Uniswap is also a sponsor of the mm-hmm. Bankless Show. They were in the news this week, so obviously we talked about them. We are long-term investors. We are not journalists. We don't do paid content. There's always a link to all Bankless disclosures in the show notes. You can find that in the show notes section. I don't have to say that twice. There's always a link to all Bankless disclosures in the show notes. Risks and disclaimers, of course. Crypto is risky. You could lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the Bankless journey. Thanks a lot. Now, here's the moment of Zen. David, let's watch this together. Oh, God. Look at that NFT market. That thing disappeared. I mean, what the fuck was that? It sounded dumb from the jump. I I would say it sounded dumb. People would be like, (laughs) you don't get it. I'm like, I think I do. And now it's all like everything's been proven right. Like it's, yeah, it's all JPEG. it's all gone. Yeah. And I don't well why the board ape was it wasn't good in the first place, but you're <laughs> gonna spend billions on this thing. It was very, very dumb. And I think the person spending billions, I think it's just one guy telling his buddy, Hey, let's write an article They're that says you spent a billion. Dude. Yeah. And then we'll get everybody else to buy bullshit. Yeah. It's, it's like the guy who said he spent a billion never mm-hmm. even spent a fucking billion. I spent. I think they spent five grand paying a website to make an article. Mm-hmm. You and know? computer money isn't real. Like I don't. I don't <laughs> believe that you have like a billion dollars of crypto. Real. That's the same as having a billion dollars in real money. Yeah, I don't buy it. Okay, the thing is, like, a part of that is actually like some of that was not. We don't have to make real. commentary on it. That was okay. the moment of Zen. All right, see you guys yeah, later. The episode's over. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>